Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Anthropotamus. We're here with Miriam Lamrani today, postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard University. Thank you, Miriam, for coming with us today. Hi, Ashley. Thank you very much to you and Les for inviting me. I'm, I'm glad to be on Anthropotamus. So we're discussing her article today, The Ultimate Intimacy, Death in Mexico, an Anthropological Relation and Image. Uh, before we dive into this article, can you tell the listeners about yourself? What made you specialize in such topics as imagery, religion, and politics, and why Oaxaca? Sure. So um, I am primarily a social anthropologist who works on popular religion and nationalism. Uh, and I often do that by paying close attention to images. So I am um, currently, as you mentioned, a Marie Curie fellow, fellow at Harvard University, and I'm working on a new project on nationalism, both in Greece and Mexico. So um, what made me specialize in imagery um, really goes back to my years as an undergraduate bachelor in Belgium. I studied art history and archaeology, pre-Columbian archaeology, with a specialization in Mexico and Peru. So that's how I really got first into looking at images um, as a mode of uh, thinking things through. So for those who are not familiar with art history studies, there's a lot of uh, looking at, uh, at the time, diapositives, uh, slides, and in general representations and analyzing them. So when I decided to move on to uh, anthropology years later at University College London, I decided to continue this focus on imagery. So um, that went together with uh, an interest in popular religion in Mexico that I carried from, from my years in archeology span where I where I did a research on uh, funerary rites in the Aztec world. And I continued uh, looking at questions of um, death and multiple souls in Mexico as a master's student. So um, I did my research on tonalism and nagualism. Um, for those who are not familiar with those terms, it refers, they refer to a series of beliefs about fragmented souls. Um, so the idea is that when people are born in Mexico, there is an animal appearing in a village nearby. And this animal is their alter ego, through witchcraft, if someone wants to hurt that person, uh, then they will look for the animal alter ego. So anyway, that's the long story. To make it shorter, when I started my PhD, I initially wanted to continue with those themes of religion and, and animal souls. And during my master's fieldwork, I had passed through Oaxaca. I didn't do my study there, but I had spent a few days, and that was in 2008. Uh, it was shortly after the uprising of 2006 in Oaxaca, um, which was called by some the first revolution of the 21st century. So at the time, you could see a lot of what has been going on in the city during the uprising that opposed the civilian society to the authorities. So 
people were trying to use the then president Ulysses Resortis uh, from Oaxaca and there was an intense conflict which ended after a period of about eight months and when I arrived in Oaxaca City maybe half a year had elapsed but you could still see on the walls of the city a lot of uh, graffitis asking for the authorities to, to stop to stop this conflict. So that's how all these themes, imagery and religion, but also politics and especially nationalism combined and why after a while I decided to, to go back to Oaxaca. So when I started my PhD, instead of continuing with this idea of animal soul, uh, I, I started working on La Santa Muerte, the devotion to La Santa Muerte in Oaxaca. In your article, you mentioned a group of four to three students that went missing. I understand this relates to your fieldwork and your idea of trans intimacy. Would you care to expand on that at all? Sure. Thank you. That's a very important question, actually, because it helps understand what has been happening in Mexico over the past 10 years in terms of how civil society is reacting to the increase in violence, but also in impunity in the country. And it also gives some context on how I started my research, what was the environment of the time, what was happening, and also how I came to formulating my concept of trans intimacy, intimacy with images of death and with violence. So I will summarize just briefly the Ayotzinapa case. On September 26th of 2014, 43 male students of the Ayotzinapa Rural Teachers College in Iguala, in the state of Guerrero, uh, went on their way to commemorate the Tlatelolco massacre of 1968 in Mexico City, and I'll go back to that in a second, and they just vanished. So the next day, a body was found uh, on a dirt road somewhere in Iguala, and it was the body of 22 years old student Julio Cesar Mondragon, he had been tortured and his face had been surgically removed. So there was only blood and bones, really. Somehow, someone who was there took a picture and posted it on social media. And so you have to, to imagine Mexico, the whole nation, waking up to this horrifying picture. I, I don't believe you can find it online these days, but it was truly something that would send a shockwave throughout society, like a catalyst for everything that has been, had been happening so far, from the femicide in Ciudad de Juarez, or, or the many unmarked graves all across Mexico, the many disappeared, and so on and so forth. So when I arrived in Oaxaca in 2014, and then again in 2015, People were very angry about what had been happening with the Ayotzinapa students. But at the same time, and although they were protesting and putting up posters of the students and, and trying to find some justice, they were also very busy commemorating the uprising of 2006 in Oaxaca. So it was the 10th uh, anniversary. And people were remembering their own struggle and the fact that dozens of people had died and many were disappeared during what some have called the first uprising of the 21st century. So at the time in Oaxaca, and as I spoke with people that remembered 2006, 
I would hear again and again similar stories of crossing the city after a curfew and seeing bodies hidden under white sheets and the police patrolling. So in many ways, 2006 and the 43 disappeared and, and even 1968 were mere events of each other and by the time I was in Oaxaca, people were really, really, really upset and they just wanted justice for the 43. So this is the context in which I started my own research in Oaxaca about La Santa Muerte and it's only toward the end of my stay when one of my interlocutors and friends um, got killed probably by one of the cartels operating at the time and in a very gruesome manner as well that I started connecting all this imagery and the idea that this country we used to be famed for and this very joyful celebration of death and colorful skeleton and this intimacy which was all based on jokes and familiarity comfortable familiarity was now going through a much more somber phase of familiarity with the skeleton of familiarity with death one that was about violence about impunity about criminals uh, going on doing their deeds and not finding anyone to stop them really so um, as one of my friends said to me once it's really a matter of being at the wrong place at the wrong time and you get killed and in many ways that's what explains also the the growing devotion to the Santa Muerte what better to protect you against death and violence than death itself right but it's also how i came about understanding the, the ways in which images move and and death moves through society so the images and the social realms that they traverse activate each other on different levels of people's lives so it can be at the level of devotion it can be at the level of having lost a relative it can be because one associates the skeleton with the nation and, and it becomes this very fragmented landscape of death. So one single image becomes this representation of how close are we to this representation and why some people are closer to some representation such as La Santa Muerte, uh, whereas other one touches uh, with a pole stick as the, as the expression goes. So trans intimacy really does two things. It reckons with the scalar shift that one image does across different levels of, of sociality and of society, but it also speaks about our own experience as anthropologists. Because at the end of the day, we really are dealing with intimacy and with closeness and with the ways in which we get familiar with the culture, with the people we encounter in the field and sometimes also with very tragic events like that of death in the field or something that will completely shock us to the core because death at the end of the day is part of life, right? It's this very fragmented complex tapestry of relationship that can get suddenly interrupted when we don't we expect it the least and in that way not only is death the ultimate intimacy 
It also pervades our work as anthropologists, and as such, it makes of anthropology a prime example of trans intimacy, a discipline that deals in partial intimacies. So, for those who are not familiar with Mexican culture in particular, um, I think I think some. I feel as if the limited Mexican culture people haven't contacted with it's, you know, Coco. But <laughs> for those of us, for those, for those who who are too um, familiar with it, can you ex uh, can you discuss the origins of La Santa Muerte? Uh, sure. So. Um... The origins are a bit unclear still. Um, so usually in anthropology, the way anyone talks about La Santa Muerte is by going back to the seminal work of Oscar Lewis, The Children of Sanchez, uh, which was part of his uh, program study in Mexico City on culture of poverty. So that book was published in 61. And I think there is one page only, I can't remember the number right now, which mentioned an oration to La Santa Muerte. So this woman in the book knows that her husband has been unfaithful and she uses an image of La Santa Muerte, a prayer card for love magic to bring back uh, her lover. So it's only a very furtive mention. That's how and when she appears first in anthropology. But if you talk to devotees, uh, they have lots of theories about where she comes from, how she came about. And the most popular is probably that this, this figure is connected to the Aztec god of death, Mictan Tecutli. Um, I am a bit dubious uh, about having like the origin of this saint traced back to pre-Columbian Mexico. Um, and the reason is that the, the iconography of the saint is clearly a Spanish import, so to speak. So it's the Grim Reaper with the side. It's a very uh, classic image of, of Catholic Spain, let's put it that way, the personification of death. But there are also other origin stories, and one of them is that it's an evolution of the pre-revolutionary image of La Catrina, which was um, a drawing from an artist called Jose Guadalupe Posada in pre-revolutionary Mexico. It's a satire, satire of an upper-class woman, uh, a dandy skeleton, which is today present uh, during the festivities of Day of the Dead. So there are many, many different stories. Uh, once again, each devotee usually will, will have his own. So some will say she used to be a bride uh, who was abandoned at the altar uh, by, her, by her husband to be and died of sorrow. So, so there's, a lot, there's a lot there, but we don't really know. Anthropologists just know that the first mention in an ethnographic uh, work is that of Oscar Lewis. That's kind of interesting, just that um, people have, uh, so, there are so many different narratives for this. And I think that does speak to just human nature. If something is not understood, we're going to tell a story about it. My next question, what did cause your initial interest in La Santa Muerte? It was a bit of fumbling upon uh, the, the topic itself, because 
as I mentioned, I was initially thinking about following on my research in Mexico about Nagualism. And I had been working for many years outside of academia. My then ex-supervisor um, contacted me and told me we've got this project coming up about the anthropology of revolution in Latin America and uh, the Middle East. Would you like to, to continue on your master research and join the PhD program? So initially I was prepared to do that. And then I was, as I was getting familiar again about Mexico and what had been happening over the past few years, um, I came across an article by the BBC, which was very tabloid-like and which said something along the, along the lines of exorcism is on the rise in Mexico City because of La Santa Muerte. And there were a series of images um, with the representation of the saint as the Grim Reaper. And I just it just struck me uh, as something fascinating, not only because I had been researching along these lines so far, but also because it was such a powerful image. How could anyone uh, want to be a devotee to death, right? So um, that's how I, I, I changed topic and, and my supervisor accepted and I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try running with that. And I'm, I'm actually very interested in understanding what happens when in a country like Mexico where death is the symbol of the state and it has been so since the revolution, uh, the dead body, the skeleton, it's all connected to this strong post-revolutionary state. What happens when one, a saint takes the form of this national symbol, so the skeleton, and two, when said saint uh, becomes then a symbol of the culture of narco-traffickers. So um, that was also at the time I was reading about La Santa Muerte, a very prominent theme that she was actually connected to the underworld of uh, criminality in Mexico, drug cartels and so on and so forth. And there was a third level to that questioning, which was, and so what happens next when you take that to, to the level of Oaxaca, which is a state very well known for the festivities of Day of the Dead, a very joyful celebration. In the article, you state that many cultures have a fascination with death. And I've heard it suggested that, in a sense, people have developed with the idea that death is inevitable for so long that we have an end-of-life fantasy to the point where we welcome death in some respects. Do you think that the devotion to Santa Muerte and, and, and death in general is a more extreme version of this phenomenon, or is there more to consider? Yeah, I think that it's true that most cultures, if not all of them, have a fascination with death and, and yeah, this fantasy of just dying peacefully is probably what most people want to uh, as, a, as a termination of life, right? But we know it's, it's not always the case, and we know that together with this fantasy of dying of old age peacefully, there is also the possibility of, uh, well, untimely or violent death and so on and so forth. So um, I think that in the case of 
devotion to the Santa Muerte, um, the, this phenomenon of welcoming death is perhaps slightly different um, because it's, it's encroach, it encroaches onto uh, the politics of a country as well. So judging from what people I've been talking to, mostly devotees uh, have told me, it's not so much that one, one welcomes death, right? Like he, no one really wants to die too early. And yeah, we might want to welcome it at the end, at the end of our lives when we are old and tired, as you, as you mentioned at some point. Um, but still, we'd rather go on living, right? So the fact that there is a connection between the apparition of this figure in the, in the social landscape uh, at a point where actually violence in Mexico is increasing, uh, which is, like I said, maybe the first mention of La Santa Muerte was in the 60s, but it really starts, the, the devotion as such, the, the cult, so to speak, really starts from the year 2000 onwards. And, and that coincides with the period of violence. Um, so I don't really think that it is an extreme phenomenon, an extreme example of a phenomenon of welcoming death. It's more like a protection. In fact, it's a figure that's all powerful. She, she protects her devotee from death, from, from herself in a, in a strange, paradoxical way so for instance policemen or criminals will be devoted to death to la santa muerte uh, people from all walks of life really will be devoted to her more as a protection in a very unstable uh, political socio-political situation and she is not only there to protect she, she does absolutely everything any other saint does and maybe a bit more she does everything she cures from illnesses she can bring back a, a lover she can protect you from untimely death uh, find your job help you find your job etc 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 so i think there's, there's indeed more to consider um because the fact that our, our devotion starts in disadvantaged neighbor neighborhoods such as uh, in tepito where oscar lewis uh study was uh, was taking place which was at the time a slum in the center of mexico city and then she grows a huge following in prisons and among marginal people among marginal community communities like the, the lgtbq community it shows that there is a shift in paradigm right there is a shift in the political situation there is a shift in the way people think about themselves uh, women, perhaps, is especially, instead of having the example of the, the Virgin of Guadalupe, the, the very submissive woman and mother, they have this very strong female character who doesn't fear, well, she doesn't fear death, for once. So I think in Mexico, it is linked to a period of political instability much more than to this old age example of welcoming death and 
and wishing for a peaceful uh, demise. So you just mentioned uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe, and in your article, you compare the two. Can you go a little bit more in depth in the comparison of the two images? Sure. So initially, I, as I was uh, reading through the research on La Santa Muerte, I was a bit, um, how could I put it, surprised that she, usually she was treated as an exception. She was um, this skeleton female uh, figure. Her devotion was, is prohibited still by the Vatican. Um, she, she was a bit of the, this person uh, um, that belonged to the underworld. Uh, the media were portraying her as a, as an arco saint, etc., etc. And I couldn't help but feel that she was just a saint, like so many others in Mexico. And and that's the thing about Mexico, right? It has a very vivid and strong tradition of popular Catholicism. And that goes back to the Virgin of Guadalupe. Um, so it was the first saint, the first, first Spanish saint uh, to really take root in Mexico. So shortly after the, the arrival of the Spaniards in Mexico. So she, um, the Virgin of Guadalupe at the time, represented a, a kind of new society, uh, an indigenous society. So hence she was brown-skinned and a society that was just starting to, to be converted. Uh, or it seemed they were, people were converted, but it wasn't really the case to Catholicism. Um, so it's a key figure at a key moment in, in the formation of a very inchoate national, and I'm using national in quotes because the, the idea of the nation state comes much later, but this inchoate idea of, okay, we are a group of people and we believe in the Virgin of Guadalupe, and today she's still called the Empress of the Americas, right? She's still this massive, massively important figure in, in Mexico and, and in Latin America in general. And La Santa Muerte for me, not only belongs to this tradition of saints and saintly devotions, such, such as uh, the Virgin, uh, the Christ, the Sacred Heart, and so many others, but she also marks a pivotal point, um, which I mentioned briefly earlier, but so that pivotal point is the year 2000. Um, so since the, the end of the revolution in 1920, shortly after the, the revolutionary party, the, the PRI, the Partido Revolucionario Institucional, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, is established in Mexico, and lo and behold, it will rule for, uh, I think, 71 or 72 years without, without failing at every election. It is a writer, a Peruvian writer, uh, Mario Luisa Vargas, who said that Mexico was the perfect dictatorship for so long. And in 2000, the PRI loses the election. So it's a huge blow. Uh, and then she appears. And then also a series of things happened. Um, so in 2000, uh, the United States moves in Colombia and we had the drug cartel, uh, which used to 
feed the drug markets in the United States and in Europe and all over uh, the world. And the, the market moves to Mexico. So it's about the same time the PRI loses uh, presidency and suddenly new alliances have to be made between the new politicians and the cartels already established in Mexico. So alliances are shifting. There is suddenly an increase of violence and, and so on and so forth. And this is when she appears and she is this, this figure that as we've already discussed is connected to, to the underworld is, is very different from what came before, is protecting you from, from all kinds of terrible death, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in, in that way, both, both figures, although I wouldn't say that Santa Muerte has uh, the magnitude of the Virgin of Guadalupe, but they have this same um, this this same kind of key presence at key moments uh, in the history of Mexico. My next question is: Do you think that race politics plays a role in who follows La Santa Muerte? I don't think so. I mean, a lot of has been written about how. Uh, Devotion to La Santa Muerte is connected to, to more disadvantaged areas and yeah, and maybe maybe there is an element to that, but I think it's in terms of race politics, it is fairly widespread uh, throughout Mexican society. So um, mestizo or indigenous people and white Mexicans, that is people, Mexicans who identify as white, uh, maybe devotees to La Santa Muerte. I don't have statistics to, to <laughs> prove <laughs> what I'm saying, but I've heard enough stories and I've seen enough people going to the to public altars and, and I've heard about politicians in Oaxaca coming to public altars to, to leave offerings to the saint that I don't think it's a... Uh, it's a racial uh, orientated devotion. I think it's maybe more economically, uh, how could I put it? Economically motivated? Um, yeah, maybe, although motivated I wouldn't say, but it, it, you might find more people believing in La Santa Muerte in milieu where they have more economic disadvantages, let's put it that way. But okay. in terms of race politics, I don't think is applied really because okay. what's powerful about this image is that it can be anyone really anyone can identify with this stripped down representation of a human being in the end yeah absolutely once again we're here with Miriam Lamrani discussing her article the ultimate intimacy death in Mexico and anthropological relation images Miriam thank you so much again for being on our show Thank you, Ashley and Liz, for having me. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, please check our, out our new website, www.anthropotamus.com, where you can find all our episodes and book recommendations. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Distribution of Anthropotamus is in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Please continue to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.